Welcome to episode 18 of The Nth Dimension, a podcast in the space-time continuum where we discuss the systemic causes behind social, political, and economic issues plaguing our lives. Today I have with me two guests who will be giving you a lowdown on American politics and its relevance to us sitting in different parts of the world. Before I introduce my two very cool guests, I just wanna give you a quick story of how this um, gathering came about. I was at Fahrenheit, this local cafe in Toronto, um, and I, I was working there and I overheard these two gentlemen you know, going on for about an hour or more um, you know, just uh, between themselves talking about um, Bernie Sanders and the American elections. And at the end of their time together at the cafe, I, I went up to them and I was like, you guys seem to really know your stuff on, on what's going on. And that's how we met. And I'm so happy to have you here, Nassim and Kuang. Um, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, of course. So Why don't you just tell, tell our listeners a, a quick little introduction of who you are? however you want to say it, what you do maybe or anything. Sure, I mean, um, so yeah, my name's Nassim, I work in software. Um, I guess I've had a pretty long standing interest in politics and more recently getting interested in American politics with this election, I guess ever since what happened with Trump, everyone's kind of interested um, a bit more in American politics. Um, yeah, I don't know, I guess that kind of sums it up. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Kung, I'm also working in software. Um, my interest in politics, it was um, not as uh, much as Nassim I was scared because I, I moved to Canada for about four years ago. And then before that, I was like, yeah, okay, American politics doesn't have anything to do with me, right? But then when I moved here, and then especially after the elections, and I kind of get into um, getting more known to the scenes, you know. Excellent. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you guys because I'm sure that you definitely know what's happening. Um, so why are we talking about American politics? I mean, let's get real. America does hold a lot of power in the world, um, economically military, military power, and also it has a huge cultural imprint around the world. And so when Trump in 2016 was the Republican nominee and he beat um, Hillary Clinton and won, um, the presidency in 2006, in 2016, um, everybody was taken by surprise that how could this bigoted billionaire who poses himself to be the man of the people could possibly win the most important election in the world. But he did. And many people said, ooh, this, the, that was the most historic election, um, la-di-da-di-da. But turns out, come 2020, um, I think this is the most historic election um, where we have front runner Bernie Sanders, love him, but promise not to make this about him, um, <laughs> who is posing a real challenge, who's challenging the establishment, challenging um, who's, who's for the people. So let me ask you guys, do you think this is the most historic election in modern history? I think it is. And I think the reason why is not because of Trump himself, but because of what he's revealed. About, but what's been happening for so long. So um, the problems didn't start with Trump. The problems have been there for a long time. Like if you look at the last, I don't know, since the early 1970s, you've seen a, um, what do they call it? Like a complete dislocation between productivity increases and wage increases. So it used to be that as productivity increases, so would middle-class wages. But now those are completely unlinked, uh, which some economists call the great decoupling. And you see that minimum wage increases have basically only kept up with inflation 
Meanwhile, you have record level productivities and those whole gone to the top 1%. So I think it's essentially, you have to look at this in the broader framework of how we've exited this golden age of capitalism that went from the end of the second world war to the early 1970s. And how it's basically just catching up with us now as we realize that our wages aren't increasing, but life is getting more expensive in basically every important dimension. So like housing for the Americans, healthcare, education. And so I think people are just realizing like, how are we going to keep up? Right. And, you know, I, I like Yang, I like Bernie as well, but as Yang often says is um, if you were born in the 1940s, you had a 50 or a 90% chance of doing better than your parents. If you're born in the 1990s, you only have a 50% chance of doing better than your parents. So people are basically like the dream is dying. What do we do about this? How do we reverse these trends essentially? Yeah, cool. I, uh, I agree with that. Like, I think that a lot of the, uh, like, I think that this is because it's politics, right? So every, every election people would make it to be the most important election of like human histories. But I think that the most important one would be the one that like the most recent, um, just because it has much larger impact on, on, on Jews individually and, and on society, uh, individually. I mean, like in the most recent way, um, and I do definitely agree with Nazim's on the, um, increase of wage gap between other uh, 1% and the rest of the um, at least North American populations. And there's a lot of um, disadvantages if you were just born after the 1990s, for example, compared to people who are baby boomer. So it is definitely important, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, when I was for my own research, I found that America is the only developed country in the world, more developed country in the world, where life expectancy is actually decreasing mm -hmm. amongst its mm -hmm. uh, white working class people. And that is not the case in any other developed country. And you don't, you don't see life expectancy to roll back. And poverty levels too are absurdly high. In fact, I have a report, according to a report in Brookings, the number of people earning less than $25,000 for a family of four is rising across, um, is, a, is rising across America and poverty levels have increased by 30% um, between 2016 to 2018. So what do you, what do you think? Of course, Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders, um, I guess Elizabeth Warren too, um, are indicative of the of, of these problems, as you said, revealed. A lot of problems have been revealed and there's kind of showing us how the capitalist system, this neoliberal economy is not working for a lot of people. Um, so what do you think, the kind of ideas that they're putting putting forward, what do you think this means for people sitting everywhere who most countries are stuck in a neoliberal economic system. So what did these ideas that we think are radical, but are, but are actually being applied in many parts of the world, what do you think this, this means for them to, to listen to these ideas coming from the most developed country in the world, or sorry, the, the most powerful country in the world? Um, so I think there's a little bit um, of reason coming into why their expectancy is going down is because if they don't have like a good healthcare system, right? I mean, at least they don't have a universal, universal healthcare system where everybody has to pay and go into debt. Um, 
in order to pay for their medical bills. So that's a huge problem leading to people not being able to live um, longer. And um, like I, I know that from reading, it's a lot of um, a lot of Americans think that universal healthcare is a radical ideas, but it is not. Um, it's I a mean, human right. Yeah, yeah, it is a human right. I agree with you. And um, America is the only developed country in the world that doesn't have the system in place, uh, which says so much about like their current situations on healthcare. Yeah, I, I think if you look, I was just thinking about this the other day. Is if you look at like the last. I don't know, 5,000 years of human history, if you could pull out any kind of common narrative from that period or any period there within, it would be probably that of class struggle. And, and so I was talking to you even just at the cafe about this idea of how Bernie Sanders, if you look online, there's this thing of like 30, know, 30 or 40, whatever, how many speeches. years of Bernie Sanders speeches, right? And in every single speech you hear him say, you know, since like the 1970s or whatever, you know, the billionaire class, the 1%, <laughs> he's doing, he's basically had the same speech this entire time, right? And so basically you have to think, okay, well, why is that the case, right? So none of this is new, right? Basically the entire modern human history has been that of class struggle. It's how do you mm. basically balance out the will of the mass of people with basically a, a very small minority who has most of the power and the wealth. And and so before we had capitalism, capitalism is only like 300, 400 years old, right? Before then you had almost like a thousand years of feudalism, right? And, and before that also many times where they tried out slavery. And, and so basically in all these systems, you can basically see people have always been kind of trying to chip away at getting more rights for the mass of people compared to the concentration of wealth for very few people. So I think this is in many ways just kind of like a reiteration of this common pattern that's going to be with us that's probably going to continuously be with us just taking on um maybe a new form because we're coming out of this kind of golden age of capitalism right mm. like we we kind of accustomed ourselves to having a higher standard of living that is now decreasing but compared to how people were living 100 200 years ago we're still much better off not to say that that's you know uh, you know, uh, in favor of, of what's happening. But definitely, I think that kind of maybe explains the picture. I almost want to ask how much the climate emergency has to do with this awakening, but that would be opening a whole other set of um, questions. Um, in fact, this morning, I found out that Hillary Clinton is not going to be endorsing Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I saw that. Um, oh which I think is absolutely absurd. And without, saying no one likes him. No one likes him. <laughs> he doesn't know how to work, how to work in the government, how to pass policies when in fact, they, in fact, he's known as the amendment godfather or something. Mm. But regardless, um, yes, you, you are right that, um, in fact, I was listening to podcasts and they rightly said um, that people are going to look at this time in history and wonder how, a political class paid so much attention to the 1% and all the while forgetting these millions of other people. That's absurd, you know? Mm. Um, but, but that's what we also do with prior times in history. Like if you look at slavery in the United States, that's appalling by our current day standards. So I think people probably have the same thing in a hundred years. They'll look back at what we were doing and they're just like, oh my God, this is basically like us looking at slaves or something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But what I want to ask is Bernie Sanders is very much talking about class. You know, he puts class first. And I think the struggles of different classes cuts through racial um, 
all it cuts it's it's a very intersectional struggle um so and when he's talking about class struggles i wonder how it will resonate with pe with people here because let's face it the liberal party is just center left you know and the democratic mm. party too is like liberal by name but it's not really it's just you know it'll go where the money goes yeah um so how do you think Bernie Sanders and Andrew Yang, um, Elizabeth Warren, Warren talking about, you know, she talks about cutting the monopolies and Andrew Yang talks about basic income, universal healthcare, Bernie Sanders, you know, Green New Deal. How do you think this will resonate with people here when they think about their politicians and their and the way they participate with with their political class? But I think um the grassroots movement that Yang and Bernie and Warren to a certain extent have been able to um, establish is pretty impressive because it basically ushers in this new way of doing politics, right? Like if you compare it to someone, you know, Buttigieg's got a lot of flack for these like wine cave fundraisers, right? He's like <laughs> yeah. meeting in these wine caves with billionaires to, I don't know, try and get their money. Um, so essentially it kind of changes the dynamic because now ever since 2016 with Sanders, you can say, okay, look, you can actually run a grassroots campaign and outraise all of the other candidates who are going and begging for money from billionaires, right? So like at the end of the day, we only have politicians to enact the will of the mass of people, right? That's the only reason why we created politicians in the first place. It's not to do the bidding of corporate interests. So I think this whole period kind of shows a reckoning on what's happened to our politics, on the money that's come in and perverted our politics. Because um, if you, yeah, if you look at the history of of the whole political sphere, it was basically you had a feudalist system where you had lords and serfs, and serfs were treated terribly, right? And for various reasons, partly due to the plague that wiped out so many people, workers had a bit more leverage, and also due to serfs running away to join capitalism, you basically had them get enough leverage to say to the king look, we're not going to pay you taxes unless you represent us, right? No taxation without representation. So then the king was like, okay, sure, you'll get representatives and they made a parliament, right? And so then they mm. could send forward these people to enact the will of the people. That's the only reason we have a politician, right? And so when you kind of square that with the way that, you know, Biden or Hillary or Buttigieg or a lot of these people are kind of running their campaigns, where it's kind of the normal thing, you know, Buttigieg is saying, no, don't set purity tests, you can't pass. Like, a purity test for what taking money from from corporations it's, it's completely antithetical for the reason why you would try and be a politician in the first place right so i think there's kind of like a battle on the whole aspect of money in politics and what this whole political sphere of why it exists to begin with yeah uh yeah i would um i mean i agree with that um assessment um i would also think that the like the problem with with um, a lot of people begging for money from millionaires or billionaires because they don't have a lot of support from like I like the way that Bernie was raising his money right he's raising money using independent voters and can I ask you to talk a bit about that like how did he manage to get so many millions of dollars just from individual donations it's I mean we have more people <laughs> it's just percentage why the populations of like the 90 percent is bigger than the 10 percent but how did um, he manage to do it well, he's I representing he's, their voices yeah he's he's tackling the, the problem 
yeah, he's tackling the problem that that people cares about, that the problem that resonate with those people, not with like the other ten percent or one percent. Um, medical case is one huge problem, right? Because I mean, if you're rich, then you don't have to worry about being bankrupt because you can afford medical case. And he's tackling that. He's tackling uh, student debt um, and uh, a bunch of other things that like normal people care about. Um, so one of my favorite websites, Wikipedia and Wikipedia. <laughs> or all, all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one interesting thing about Wikipedia is that they don't raise money from huge donors. They, mm -hmm. Their model is raising money smaller, but from the huge population because their model is working for uh, the general public. Um, they provide knowledge for the general public. They, they, they get money from the general public. So I think that's a really cool model. And that, that's, I mean, they don't even accept like big donation, right? Um, so it's like statistically wise, it's a better model than having money from a big donor because also if that big donor just turned your bike on you, then you basically uh, screw because you don't have, um, like you don't, you can't find like that big chunk of money anywhere else. Right. So I think that model that Bernie is following is smart and it's, it's safer than like a general model that was followed by other politicians. He's showing that it is possible to rally huge numbers of people if you you know talk talk to them like they they matter i guess mm -hmm. um and you know raise and and talk about their concerns um but let's do a quick recap so can you like what what is happening in terms of polling who's leading mm -hmm. um i you know as much as we love bernie sanders <laughs> but you know we don't have to only talk about him who 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 else is there i know biden is leading yeah. um why is he leading and maybe you guys can give me a little recap of where we're at in terms of uh, polling right before the Iowa caucus, caucuses. So I think, um, yeah, Biden's doing well in the polls. I would say that's really his whole, his whole argument is electability. He's like, I'm the electability guy. You need someone to beat Trump <laughs> and that's here. only gonna be me. To the extent that even his wife in, a, in an interview, I guess, addressing a crowd was basically saying like, I know there's not that much excitement around Biden, but kind of suck it up. You got to vote for him. We have to beat Trump. Like that's basically her pitch can, for can, Biden. Can people not see that he's honestly like I'm like you have to see him on stage and see him scrunching his eyes that he's finding it hard to be comprehensible. Like oh my, he's the gaps towards, are insane. Yeah, he's senile at <laughs> yeah. this point. And he, if if he wins the primaries, like Trump will obliterate him without a doubt. Yeah, I think it's going to be the same situation with Hillary. <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe worse. <laughs> but he, he cannot make like he's senile at this point. And yeah. is mainstream media even discussing this? No, they well, they obviously have their thumb on the scale, right? Basically, the high pitch of my voice should tell you how <laughs> absurd this is. Sorry. The Biden's whole thing is like return to normalcy. You know what I mean? That's like basically return like, to the establishment. Yeah, it's it's predicated on the idea that Trump is basically the root of all of our problems, and all we have to do is get back on track, and then we get back on track, then you know, things are going to go smoothly. And that explains basically, like, you look at where Biden has stood on the issues, right? He's for the trade policies. He was for the Iraq war. He was for basically every disastrous policy. When he was making decisions, when it mattered, he made all the worst decisions possible, you know, even though he likes to tout his experience. So basically, it's this idea of, like, return to this kind of broken neoliberal kind of 
frame of, of mind, but I guess people are just so desperate right now because Trump has not delivered and it's just chaos with him in the White House. They just want some kind of return to stability and that's his whole pitch. And do you think people are afraid or in, in, in mainstream media at least to talk about um, Obama's presidency and the fact that, um, that the fact that we got Trump after Obama means that there was something happening in his terms that the people were not satisfied with mm -hmm. and having lost all hope with the Democratic Party. It's like if the Republicans do this, OK, now even the Democrats do this. So the Democrats do this. So, you know, OK, let's just check out this guy who <laughs> is apparently saying that he is our, our, a man of us. So right. are people afraid of talking about Obama's presidency? I think so. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, there are definitely something not going right when Obama was president. Um, Clearly. <laughs> yeah, there has to be something, right? I mean, otherwise, how would people vote for Trump in the first place? Um, but I also think that Trump is, I mean, he's a pretty smart guy. I mean, I know he's oh, dumb, he's but politician. his strategy works yes. on right. Americans, at least. Um, he's talking about like the golden area where America was like number one in the world and then using nationalism to like radicalize a lot of his ideas. Um, which is sort of like similar to what Biden is doing right now, right? He's trying to return mm -hmm. to like the, the 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 past of like where things are still working. Uh, and I think it's a really powerful argument when it comes to um, politics. Yeah, I think I think Trump is, I despise the guy, but, and I don't even think he's a good businessman, but I think he was <laughs> able to spot a market opportunity. <laughs> Basically, he's built his entire career on duping poor people. He's kind of like the, like, look how rich and amazing I am. I have like a gold condo, gold, everything. You can be like me. You just you have can to have follow it too. me. Basically. And then, you know, Trump University, go to Trump University, learn how to be a sly businessman. And then he does the same thing every time. He takes their money and he forgets about them. Yeah. And I think that's basically what he did is he, he was smart enough, capable enough to actually identify the things working class people wanted. You know, when you when he was running, he said things like, I'll give you health care so fast your head will spin. You know, this whole <laughs> thing of like, I'm going to bring back the coal jobs, you know, those great jobs yeah. and manufacturing and all this. And so people bought into it because they're basically like, OK, well, we know how the other narrative plays out. It's been playing out for 40 years or whatever. Right. So might as well take a, a, a risk on the, uh, you know, failed casino owner, reality <laughs> TV star. Yeah. And um, and so I think I think, um, yeah, I think he was sly enough to figure it out. But it, it, at the end of the day, he's not part of their class. Right. Like he's part he's and he never was. So I think Trump just uses the working class as a wedge to jockey for power within his own class. And he I mean, basically I mean, saw that after to he be got fair, elected. no politician running for president is a part of the working class. That's yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, even, even like Bernie, he yeah. admitted that he's a millionaire, right? Well, yeah. he is so, now. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, even if he used to be a part of working class, he's not now, which is fine. Like, we don't need people to be in a part yeah. of working class um, to become politicians, but we need people who like represent yeah. uh, the majority. I still, I, I was thinking about the, this the other day. I remember reading Plato's The Republic, which sort of talks about, part of it touches on who a good politician is. And Bernie Sanders is, according to Plato's definition, a good politician because from what we can see and and his um his past proves it as well that he's for the people his his views haven't changed he's stood by the right thing he's he's mm. his his 
his um, campaign's slogan, not me, us. Right. You know, it's, it's saying that I'm not doing this to get power. I'm doing this for all of us. And knowing Bernie, no matter who wins from, from these primaries, he will put his entire backing towards making making them win, you know, and making sure that Trump is booted out. He mm -hmm. did that with Hillary Clinton as well. So, yeah, he may not be from the working class. Well, he probably does come from the working class and he may no longer represent them. I mean, be of them, but he's still, he's very much representing them. Yeah, um, but, okay, so going back, Biden is leading. We know because of his electability, so-called <laughs> electability, okay. Um, how are the others doing? And, yeah, how are the others doing? Um, I think Yang made pretty good uh, run. Like he, he is, his number is increasing. Isn't Ooh. he only at seven percent? Yeah, I know. Well, like, <laughs> for like a yeah, no guy who's never heard of that's, that's pretty true. good, right? I mean, true. isn't that the same thing with that's um, true. Bernie last election? Like he was basically no one, he and was then nobody. he's like second choices. I mean, it was supposed to be your first choice, but yeah, he was second choices. So yeah, I think Rang has pretty good um, increase uh, increment in terms of numbers. Um, his arguments like what's harder going from anonymity to fifth place or fifth place to first place it's <laughs> a pretty good argument love it, love it, it is very good yeah <laughs> but does he have any real chance of bagging the nomination uh, maybe well, I, I think the polls underrepresent him just because his supporters mm. probably aren't answering landline calls and stuff like that. <laughs> like the polling methods are the updated. yang gang's busy out on the streets <laughs> yes i think it's bigger than than what is being represented and i think the media obviously skews against these kinds of I don't know, progressive new voices and wants more established candidates in whether he could take it when we're like 20 days out from starting the process is i'm not sure but um yeah i don't know don't count them out what do you what's your hypothesis of andrew yang's future in politics because he does say that um my goal was to create a con better country for my children and mm -hmm. the future of our people. Mm -hmm. um, so even if I do not win, even if I do not become the president, I will I will still continue the fight. So what what is your hypothesis for his future? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think he's made the argument very clearly that like, DC is obviously lagging behind massively in terms of understanding these future trends or even current trends, especially when it relates to technology. So I think he definitely has a very strong place in any administration um hopefully at least a vp pick would be mm. nice for me but uh yeah we'll see we'll see how you it, know he how actually was out. a director of entrepreneurship under obama administration yeah mm. so yeah. it's pretty impressive um quite I, a stellar guy i have to say yeah yeah i like i like i really like andrew young i mean i, I would like him to him win as well um his number is not really supporting him compared to other people um but yeah i like the a lot of the ideas that he's proposing, uh, especially those are uh, relatable for like a foreseeable future, because we work in tech as well. So, I mean, as a as a tech um, workers, I can definitely see a lot of the things that Yang is talking about coming uh, true. So, yeah, I mean, in in a foreseeable future, I I, I can see that he's going to be a more prominent voice um, in American politics. How's, how's Bernie doing? Does he have real chances of winning? I think so. Yeah, he's definitely. He's been yeah. polls as well, right? I think yeah. he's actually, I think it's basically neck and neck with the Bernie and Biden at this point. Mm -hmm. Oh, Warren is also really closely behind Bernie. So I think- Still? I, 
Yeah. I thought she she dropped a bit. I thought she, she had a dropped bit of a dip. after the CNN debate. Oh, really? I did not. I think I she had like two dips. One because she kind of wavered on on Medicare, and then the other, I guess, because of how she treated Bernie. Just <laughs> and recently. now rumor has it that she's you know bagging a deal with, with a backdoor Biden. deal with Biden. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you a pessimistic question before moving on to the optimistic part. What happens if Bernie doesn't win? You mean he doesn't get the primaries or doesn't win at all? Well, if he doesn't, doesn't win, get the nomination. if he doesn't get the nomination, then I'm guessing Trump is back. That's my guess. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably it's going to be like that too. Yeah. And is it wrong for us to put, is it wrong for me to ask if Bernie doesn't win? Because is he our only real hope at changing the status quo? challenging the status quo. I think Warren, to a degree, has some good ideas. I mean, if you even look at like some of Bernie's more um, like progressive, even out there ideas for for even some people who support him would be trying to get employees to vote in 45% of the uh, members of a board of directors, right? And giving 20% of a company's stocks to the employees like he has some ideas like this and i was just like wow that's great that's like straight up socialism right yeah. and uh but if you look at warren she's actually not that far behind on some of these policies she also wants to have employees elect 40 percent of board members the only difference is bernie wants it to apply to companies who make over 100 million and warren wants it to apply to companies that make over 1 billion so they are aligned on some issues. I think the main difference is that Warren is going to be less of a challenge to authority, where she's made it very clear that she's a like quote unquote team player and wants to work within the system to improve things. Where Bernie is basically like, I want to completely, you know, I want to challenge this system in big ways. I want complete structural reform. Even if I don't have the votes or whatever, we're we're going to mobilize the people. We're going to rally. We're going to protest in all these kinds of various ways of, of enacting change. So what do you think will happen if he doesn't win the nomination and thereby beat Trump? What do you, what is America? If we have Trump again, you If mean? we have Trump again. <laughs> Probably more of the same. I mean, I, to be honest, I thought a Trump victory would be more disastrous than it's been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I feel like a lot of the time, it's just like something dumb that he did and it's something that the media reported, but they don't really matter, you know? Will it be worse if we get an if we get like Biden? Will it be worse than Trump? I don't know about that. Probably worse. I'd say it would still be worse under Trump. But I think yeah. the main difference is between I think I'd say like a comparison for Trump would be like between him and Bush. It was like who was worse? <laughs> Bush, who was maybe a bit more moderate and less like crazy of a figure, but who actually had more of an agenda, maybe pushed more by Cheney, but who is actually enacting a lot of terrible things or Trump who seems to not really enjoy being president and doesn't really get anything done, mm. who seems to enjoy more tweeting and holding rallies. Like, I think if Trump had a nefarious agenda he wanted to implement, he could have done it by now. Mm. You know what I mean? He would have had the power to do horrible things to that country if he wasn't just so like, you know, aloof. He's he just a really megalomaniac. He just wants mm -hmm. to like Pro probably eat Burger King yeah. in bed or something. He doesn't really care about trying to. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like his only legacy, if at all, will be that stupid wall right. that he's going <laughs> to build, you know, and take that billions of dollars and, you know, get people healthcare, to be honest. Mm. Um, but if Bernie does win, I'm curious to know how it will kickstart a 
climate um, revolution. And I hate to use the word revolution, but we're at a stage where we do need, you know, groundbreaking policy changes to tackle climate change because we are still heavily investing in fossil fuels. I found out recently, I'm sure you guys know that Google, Microsoft are um amazon as well are building ai technology and helping companies like shell exxon to drill more oil um so i feel that you know bernie's groundbreaking policies may help kickstart some sort of revolution and um given that america's canada's biggest oil market that is sure to have an implication on the way we um approach the fossil sector, fossil fuel sector thoughts? Um, I, I would think that like, I mean, I have really high expectation for Bonnie. <laughs> I, I, I would definitely see that if he's going into the office, if he's coming into the office, he's gonna make a lot of changes and yeah, climate change is a part of it for sure. Um, for Canada, I mean, a lot of our export is coming from oil Mm. Um, and I'm, if we are getting away from it, then yeah, definitely there's going to be economic impact, um, on some provinces where oil is, um, their majority of their income. Um, it's going to be messy at first, um, in the long term though, those for kind of forces, those provinces to go into other resources or other industries, they have to invest into other industry. Like the people, um, the, the the people of Saudi Arabia, they already have a shit ton of money, and then they're gonna sorry about my language, they're gonna <laughs> no, invest in something else. They 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 have those money, and they then they're gonna need to use that for something else. Like uh, I think they're buying company or they're buying stuff mm. or whatever. Uh, but it's their strategy to get away from oil because they know that it does not last forever. And as a matter of fact, I don't think it's gonna last forever. Yeah, if nothing else, I think it will just kickstart you know, some changes in the way we think in different parts of the world that if this challenge to the establishment, the status quo, then the capitalist way of life um, can happen in a in a place like America, mm -hmm. then I think that that changes a lot for people in different parts of the world. Um, so lots of hopes writing on Mr. Sanders. Yeah. 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 Lots of hope. One last thing that I do want to ask you guys is, you know, we're all young people in the room and um, clearly interested in the world. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of we're seeing huge hu youth action in the climate movement in Canada and different parts of the world. And, you know, Bernie Sanders's um, campaign is largely built by young people. So just, you know, from you guys, how do you think young people can get more involved in politics or what can politicians do to, to appeal to them more? I would say if you, if you want to, this is something I'm, I'm starting to learn recently is if you want to leverage more of your influence within politics, you have to get involved in the process earlier. So by the time you wait for the general election, a lot of the most progressive voices have already been kind of washed out, right? And I'm kind of following this a bit right now with the upcoming um, Ontario uh, election. Right now, the Liberals are trying to decide who they want their next party leader to be. 
And there are actually some really progressive voices in that campaign, right? There even one of them, Alvin Tedjo, is advocating for universal basic income for all Ontarians. I saw you made your first donation <laughs> yeah, to him. I did. <laughs> and so if you if you want to actually have your voice represented, I would say get involved in the process earlier because you're going to have more candidates to pick from. And honestly, if we all, if all of the progressives, if everyone who voted green and voted NDP became a member of the Liberal Party and voted in their leader election, you could probably get just as progressive a candidate to just lead the Liberal Party. So I'd say there's other avenues of change if you get involved in the political process earlier than if you wait for, for until the general election. But Instagram just seems more interesting. That's true. Instagram's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Um, I would say like part of it, part of the reason that that we want like young people to um, get into politics is that we're gonna be the one who be impacted the most. Um, because like 50 years from now, a bunch of people die, and then already are. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then we're gonna be the one who inherited the earth um, and all of its legacy. Um, I think one thing that that the um, that would attract young people into politics is actually having young people in politics. Like um, AOC, she's really um, on like a on, a, on like a, a storm right now. I would mm. say, yeah, she's like really her voice is really heard by a lot of people, young people, and part of it is because she's young. And then if you have young people in um, in the uh, office, um, not like the presidential office, when you're like young people actually have the power to to vote on policies that would, that would make a lot more sense. You know what I mean? Um, Great. Thanks guys for, for coming on the show. I thought it was an excellent conversation um, talking about how the most powerful country's election, uh, what's happening and how it may affect us. So thank you so much, Nassim and Guang for coming on The Nth Dimension. Thank I you. Yeah, you thanks for having us. Thank you, thank you. Um, that's it for episode 18 of The Nth Dimension. Um, do follow me on Twitter, underscore The Nth Dimension. And till then, I guess, the takeaway from the last last bits of the show is that every little political action affects our lives. So be mindful, keep an eye open and get involved in the process.